Good morning. Mm, so good to be with you this morning. So good. We have so much to be thankful for. His goodness overflows to us in so many great days or great ways. Mm, we get to uh, celebrate today God's love for us through communion. Um, and it's just a wonderful thing, you know, that the table is set and he sets it for us, doesn't he? Just a little teaser as we, before we get into the message this morning, this uh, brief message. The month of October, as, has our, as you may or may not know, we're uh, changing the message series, at least temporarily. And we'll be tackling this idea and this concept of be, being deeply formed by scripture. And so the first message may or may not be for you, uh, but it may or it may be for some of your friends. Uh, it's just really this, can I trust Scripture or can we trust Scripture? So if you have friends or family members who are just wrestling with the, whether Scripture is something valid, something that is truthful, something that is absolute, that can be followed, I would invite you to invite them to give a listen next week. We are in Matthew, uh, so if you don't have your Bibles open, open them to Matthew chapter 6. We're in that famous Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching on how to live in the kingdom of God. And uh, just a little caveat, I just want to tell you that he's not generally talking to people who are on the outskirts of the religious norm. Even as you are listening to uh, Donnie, and Donnie, thank you for reading that for us, as you're listening, he's speaking to people who uh, may think they're enveloped into the kingdom, may know about the religious ways of living and doing that. It's amazing. Jesus knows our plight. He knows that we worry. It's just a big thing about us. He knows that, uh, that that's a human condition, that when we're separated from our Heavenly Father, when we're separated in not our rituals, but in our relationship from our Heavenly Father, that we will just obsess about things. Uh, anybody here want to tell a story about how they've worried in the last 18 months? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're all, we've all been there, right? I mean, the idea of our hearts racing, right? Uh, a new piece of news, piece of information has passed across your email or over the phone or some text, and you all of a sudden your heart starts racing, and you kind of go, what am I going to do, Right? Uh, Tums has become your friend. Anybody, uh, hopefully nobody, you know, right? Uh, we live in this, in this kind of emotional state of almost aggravation when we're worrying. Anybody there, you know, snippy, walked up to somebody, it's a little kind of short. Me? I mean, I'll confess, there have been moments that things are happening in the gray matter and they come out in the wrong way. Some of us become obsessed when we worry. Right? We just become increasingly obsessed and obscure the truth with misinformation and mistrust of things. It's just the way we are. Some of us, because of worry, we don't live. We hide. We fall into the patterns of Adam and Eve, not wanting to be seen, right? Because we're just not sure. We worry, and depending on what we're worrying about, it has different forms. 
some of us don't hide. We do just the opposite. We, we clamp down and try to take control. In fact, people are still trying to pry our, our hands off of the wheel of things, right? Because they're white and they're gripped and we're like, oh, I don't know what to do. But by this passage and through this passage, what we come to realize is that worry makes us victims to something we do not have to be victims to. That Jesus gives us a way out, that the Father gives us a way out of this. Now let's think about this for a second. When you think about Jesus, uh, you may not think of it this way, but it may help you to reframe how you read the Gospels. Have you ever thought how happy and joyous Jesus was? Now, you may not think that way, but I think in many, many situations, if you were to read them with the right mind and the right heart, you would see that Jesus is a little, he has a smirk and he has a smile and he's, he's happy and he's joyous. There were those moments, though, that he wasn't, and we have to uh, really kind of point to the probably the, the biggest and the greatest one is the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was, he was praying with passion. I don't think he was worried. I think he knew what was happening, but he prayed with passion, and we even have to acknowledge, he said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, take it. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't know if that's worry. That's just direct conversations from a heart, from from a son to a father. But Jesus had this strong and lively sense of the goodness of God, of his heavenly father, the creator of the world, His whole spirituality was focused and formed through this this relational connection, this relationship that he had with God. It did not have this idea of shadows and gloom and vanity, all of those things. But he concentrated his mind, his whole body, his whole being was focused on the things that were good and right and noble. He put his attention to those things. Not ignoring the things of the world, but redirecting, refocusing, allowing his heart to be aligned in a true way. Think about the, remember the story? And maybe if you don't, Matthew 8, 24 will give you the specific verse. But Jesus is traveling across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And a storm erupts. Now what are they doing? They're worrying, they're fear-filled, they're, they're just churning on the inside, and what is Jesus doing? He's just taking a nap. He's sleeping. He knows he can trust his heavenly Father in the midst of a storm. He's sleeping, and he gets a little, yeah, you can read it, he gets a little irritable with their faithlessness, but no different than what we're going to walk into in a few moments. But I believe that there's a, there's a deep formed communion from Jesus to his father that allowed him to have a trust in father's plan for him now this is the incredible thing that he knew this connection he knew this wonderful communion that he had with his father but guess what he does is he prays to his father on our behalf in John chapter 17 and he says Oh, Father, that they would be one as we are one, that they would be invited into this this triune love triangle, if you will, of love and be joined in there, that they wouldn't have to worry, that they would understand the character of the God that 
you are, Father, I love you, and I pray that they love you the same way. And I believe it comes, and we see it reflected, even in the passage we're looking at, because he views the world, not as sometimes we view it, skewed, distorted, distressed, but he views the world as the way God had made it. And it gives us a light to the kingdom of God that he is demonstrating to us. So let me ask you, before we get into the passage, when's the last time you sat for a half a day, for an hour, oh, maybe just 10 minutes, and just watched the world around you, nature around you? Not through a screen, but you actually were in it. You watched it, and you allowed yourself to just kind of be immersed in it. Verse 25, Jesus says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He says, this life that you live, it's not all about the latest and the greatest. If we're observant, he is trying to draw our attention to the most important things And Jesus is trying to reorient those who have come to sit there in his teaching, reorient us to what is vital, what is absolutely most important. And he says this, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Now, uh, if you haven't been to our house, you're more than welcome to come by. I'll serve you a cup of coffee. We'll have something, uh, you know, and you can sit on my back porch, my patio, and see this. But I think God is telling us this. If God, if you believe in God, this is the truth of what it is. This is how it works in the kingdom of God. So I have a, we have herons that fly in our pond in our backyard. I believe we have a picture of that of a heron. Yeah, these things are cool creatures. I think they, when they take off, I don't know if you've ever heard one take off or land or uh, their, their, their vocalization is almost uh, prehistoric in nature. It's just really, really cool. But I watch them and they, we have a kind of a rock, rock wall and they, they come and park themselves and they sun. Sometimes I think they tuck their heads under and sleep there, right? But what's really cool is that when they, when they hunt, they just walk just ever so slowly through the water. And then when they're about to eat God's provision for them, they just, they just stare at the water, right? And all of a sudden, whoosh, they grab it, and they tilt their head up, and they swallow it. Hopefully that's not too gross for some of you. <laughs> but it is incredible. They don't worry at the same time, they don't stop working. They don't stop applying themselves to moving forward, to doing what God has instinctively placed within them to do. They don't worry. Can you just imagine what a bird would look like if they're worrying? Maybe you can. A hummingbird, maybe. I don't know.
Did you know that worrying is prayer in reverse? Worry is prayer in reverse. What does worry do inside of us? It makes things larger than life. It exaggerates the truth. It exaggerates the lies. It exaggerates, I mean, it just blows things up when we start to worry. In fact, nothing else, almost anything else, if you've been in full-blown worry or anxious or had, a, had any anxiety attack at all, that's what transpires. You have no ability to bring in anything. So it just blows whatever you're focused on into, into such a big thing that it's, it's illogical. Yet our minds uh, sometimes can't control that. I understand. But worry is prayer in reverse. And guess what prayer does? Prayer, when we put it before God, our Heavenly Father, it puts everything in perspective. It places everything in its proper place. And then all of a sudden, those things that we were worrying about, those, uh, those things that we're, we are uh, just obsessed about in the moment become just diminutive in the presence of God. Isn't that incredible? So worry is prayer in reverse. We want to bring those things into perspective and Jesus is saying to them, oh, watch the birds. He said, because I'm a student of my father's makings. I'm a student of what he has created and let me show you what's already innately in creation. You don't have to look for a theology any tougher than that. That's or bigger or grander or anything. He is already there. He goes on and, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. Uh, they don't make, they don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And Solomon had it all, right? I mean, he had connected himself with all of these kingdoms and in the connection uh, through his concubines and his wives and all of that connections to make, uh, make uh, authority of that day, he had access to anything he wanted. And, and Jesus said, oh, Solomon, Solomon, he missed it. He missed it here. He says, and if God cares so wonderfully for the wildfires that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? If God can take care of the flowers of the field, if he can dress them as beautifully as they are, do you think he can take care of you? A few weeks ago, uh, went on the backpacking trip with Jeff Titchen and we had just had a wonderful trip and, and uh, while there weren't uh, there was foliage galore there weren't a lot of wildflowers but we had fungus that was growing out of the ground in the woods and it was I have a picture of some white fungus that has grown up and it has kind of like uh, fingerling things in my office now it's kind of a cool thing but there were yellow and there were reds and there were orange colored and you think, oh, whoa, I, I don't even know if, if you know, I, I didn't pick them and eat them, I'll just tell you that. But they're just beautiful. I, I remember my grandmother taking us on woods walks uh, behind uh, the, our farm, and, and she was just into all the wildflowers, just like uh, Kathy is. And she just would point out to us as grandchildren, hey, this is what this is, this is what this is. God placed this here. 
Uh, Jesus is trying to get our attention on the simplest of things, on the very organic things of life. And he's saying, look, if God can do this, that's great. He can take care of you. Uh, many of us are, uh, are bent toward uh, what we can make with our hands. Now, I, I have nothing wrong or uh, no, uh, nothing wrong with people who uh, see uh, beauty and creativity in what is man-made. I don't. But sometimes I wonder with people who just see, uh, you know, I have a friend who is blown up by Walt Disney. Now, that's okay. That's all right. But movies and those type of things, they... There are creativity. They're what God brought through us. But I think the world around us has this spectacular demonstration of God's theology running all the way through it. It comes through that too. But I think that sometimes we lose it. I I, I love this at the the end of uh, verse 30. Uh, Jesus chides them. He's not just asking them a question. He is actually picking at them a little bit. It's like if you worry about your clothing and your food, why do you have so little faith? In fact, what he's, say, what he's saying is you have little confidence in God. You, you say you have confidence in God, but nah. You, you're, you're a little faithless in your walk. You're a little faithless in your heart. That he says this, this idea of having little faith is coordinated to big worry in your life. That they... They show up together and Jesus is trying to reorient our eyes to see what he has done already. He's trying to reorient our minds and our hearts and our very souls to the very creation that he has put before us. Verse 31, he says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Now, I get it. Those might not be our big things, but you can replace them for whatever you came in with this morning that's on your heart. I, I don't know how the house is going to get sold. I, I, I don't know what retirement's going to look like. I, I mean, you fill in the blank because that's what Jesus is saying. Oh, oh, oh. do you trust me? We walk with me not just in your, not your ways, but my ways. Will you walk in my ways? He says this, and if this doesn't grab us, it should. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. He, he, Jesus is trying to pull out. He's like, oh, here, here it is, right here, right here. Let me pull this out for you. This unbelieving thought that reeks wrecks your heart and maybe even makes you uh, smell a little bit different than what you should, uh, than the aroma of Christ. Because the thought is this, unbelieving thought, it's up to me. Right? Isn't it true? Some of us have been raised, if it's going to be, it's up to me. If, it's, if anything's going to happen, I have to make it happen. I have to force it to happen. I have to, I have to create it. I have to, you know... F- all of these things. And it's one of those places where even when we can, because many of us have learned we can, and we can without God. We can look good, even those of us followers of Jesus. We can look good, but it's the place where pride sneaks in and replaces the humility that Jesus washes for you to carry in your heart. 
When you can do it on your own, he has no place, you have no place for God with you. When we prayed earlier, we sang earlier, oh, change my heart. He's like, oh, I, I wish I could. Because pride has gotten the way. You think it's all about you. You think it's on your dime, on your time, in your way, in your space. Oh, I wish that I could. You see, what we worry about reflects what we're devoted to. What we worry about reflects what we're devoted to. He goes on, he says, but your heavenly father already knows what you need, knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You see, if God is in control, everything is taken care of. And I know we could have some great conversations because some of you are going, look, if you walk according to the plan of the kingdom of God and his ways, everything, everything will be taken care of by your needs, not your wants, in his way. So what is the solution to this worry dilemma that we're in? What is the solution? The solution to worry is to redirect our devotion to seek first the kingdom. It's the question that he points out, what separates the pagans from those who follow Jesus, who follow me? Look, look, he knows what you need. Do you think he doesn't? Oh, he does. He does. So he says the solution to worry is redirecting our devotion to him. He goes on, finishes the finishes chapter six for us if, if there were chapters and he says don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries today's trouble is enough for today i don't know if i stole this from somebody or if i actually created it but my phrase is don't borrow from tomorrow we don't have enough time we don't have enough space we don't have enough promotions we just can't borrow from tomorrow it doesn't mean we don't plan it doesn't mean we don't work but when it comes to worrying, comes to anxiety, comes to those things, it's a reminder to myself, it's a reminder to those who I've repeated it to, oh, let's not go there right now. Uh, let's give this to God. Let's set it aside. Let's put our devotion where it needs to be. Let's stay focused in what he's called us today. I like what N.T. Wright says here. He says, living totally without worry sounds to many people as impossible as living totally without breathing. Some people are so hooked on worry that if they haven't got anything to worry about, that they worry that they don't have anything they're worrying about. Friends, raise your, oh no, don't do that. Here, he says, at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation that surprisingly few people try to take him up on. Why not learn how to share, he says, in the happiness of Jesus himself? Oh, let, Jesus, let the Father take care of all your needs. Seek him first. So how do we do this? How, how do we redirect our, our devotion to God? How do we seek the kingdom first? How do we remind ourselves that Jesus is in control? I love the corollary for me, the corollary between this passage and Philippians chapter four is there. It's just all the way there. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put in practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Let let me just pull out two things from that passage of Scripture that is powerful. It's just powerful. You need to memorize it. You need to ingest it. You need to digest it. Whatever you do with scripture, you need to do that. We'll talk a little bit about that next, next month. But is this. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. How, how, do you, how can you be thankful? We have to remember what God has done for you, Right? This is the part of redirecting our thoughts. It's remembering what God has already done for you. And sometimes, as I admitted a few weeks ago, I don't celebrate enough. And that's really what's happening here. We just need to learn to celebrate God's goodness. And sometimes it just sets right in front of us. And we're like, I don't see it. And we need friends and family members. By the way, this is a shameless plug for community and for groups. You need to be with other believers Some of you are trying to fend the world on your own and you're failing. Not according to my standard, but because your own heart tells you that. You're like, oh, I'm just bound in frustration. I'm living to the next big thing. I'm not at peace. This is, community is the place to help you redirect your thoughts, to remind you. Friends come up to you and go, hey, did you see this? And you're you're frowning, right? Something's happened in the day. You're, You're consumed. And all of a sudden, they don't say anything to you, but they redirect you and go, oh, God, you've been so good to me, right? Sometimes it is a direct word, but community is powerful in the way that it helps to redirect our thoughts, right? So we need to redirect our thoughts by thinking also, Philippians 4, about those things that are pure, right, lovely. Uh, allowing that uh, Sabbath day rest to be consumed not with the, the, the consuming ideas of what needs to come next in the week, but allowing God to fill them with the thoughts of how good he, how good he is and how much he loves you. Oh, he just wants to tell you that, right? So we, we, we reject it, we redirect our thoughts by memorizing i would go we'll get to this memorizing scripture but we seek the kingdom first right above all else and then we reflect you can do this every single moment of your life you can just sit back and go oh god you've been so good and guess what you get to do in the next moment rejoice just like philippians 4 tells us before you setting with friends who you know, that just make you laugh. You can go, oh, God, thank you for that. I don't do this on my own. I only do this through the community of others, right? We, we have to have, take our aspect intentionally. It's our job to redirect our thoughts. It's our job to place ourselves in community. It's our job to put ourselves in the word of God, right? So that we can redirect our thoughts, reflect, and rejoice. 
I think Jesus is trying to tell us this through this passage, that worry is a choice. And you're like, what? No, he, he is. As followers of Jesus, I believe that Jesus is telling us that worry is a choice. It, it is a temptation to run into because the, the worry moves us into seeking for our own security, to, to taking on all of those things on our own, right? And not bringing God into it and allowing him to, to align those things that need to be aligned, to present those things that need to be presented. You don't conquer worry by trying to conquer worry. You conquer worry by surrendering and seeking the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you. I, I, I don't think there's a day, Father, that, uh, that I don't need this message in